The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This week's episode is a rebroadcast episode with one of my favorite guests, Dr. Lindsay Kite. We discuss building body image resilience. In the show notes, you can buy her book, More Than a Body. There's also links there to join an upcoming Agape Intensive or schedule a dating strategy call. I'll be back next week with a new episode of Ask a Matchmaker. Happy listening. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Matchmaker Maria. And hey, while you're at it, follow this podcast, Ask a Matchmaker, so that you are notified every time a new episode drops. You know, and of course, subscribe to this podcast too while you're at it. This week's guest is author, Dr. Lindsay Kite. Dr. Lindsay Kite is co-author of the book, More Than a Body, Your Body is an Instrument, Not an Ornament, published by HarperCollins. And she's co-director of the nonprofit, Beauty Redefined, alongside her identical twin sister, Lexi Kite. Both received PhDs from the University of Utah in the study of female body image and have become leading experts in the body image resilience and media literacy. Lindsay and Lexi help girls and women recognize and reject the harmful effects of objectification in their lives through their social media activism, online course, and regular speaking engagements. Uh, what am I supposed to call you? Is it Dr. Lindsay, Dr. Kite? Lindsay, what are we going with here? I'll take Lindsay. That Lindsay, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thanks so much, Maria. So happy to talk to you as a fan. I, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I love it. I love it when there's actual listeners on this podcast who are going to be guests. <laughs> I think that's like so amazing. Um, so, you know, your book, oh, well, I, I loved it, first of all, and highly reviewed. Did I see Chelsea Clinton's name? You sure did, right? On, on the, the jacket. Is that my imagination? Is that, is, <laughs> do I remember correctly? That's right. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that's, some amazing uh, people, some real scholars in the field and people who are already much more famous than Lexi. Oh, and yeah. Different exciting. scholars, but you also got like Nikki Glazer too. Like, right. I was like, yeah. what, a, what a diverse group of women, of amazing women, uh, talking about, you know, the positive effects of your book. So, you know, off the bat, you're an identical twin and I have this hypothesis and I want to confirm it because it's interesting. Like you're talking about body image and I've always had this hypothesis that, um, identical twins intrinsically compete over their perception of their body among their friends. And I'm and like, while I was reading your book and I know you kind of mentioned this briefly in the beginning, but like, while I was reading your book, I kept thinking like, there's no way they would have written this book at this capacity if they weren't identical twins. Yeah. I definitely think it was a bit of an advantage. Well, it started out as a disadvantage because we were so, we were so competitive about everything, including mm -hmm. how we looked 
And that definitely came from being identical and having strangers and people we loved and classmates look us up and down, scan our bodies every day to determine who was who, who looks different, who has the rounder face, who has the skinnier face, who's more funny, who's more outgoing, whatever. We were compared to Would you egg each other on like, hey, lose a little weight? (laughs) that, that absolutely happened. Yeah. Because we would get mistaken for each other. And so if somebody would see me and think that I was Lexi, and then I would go tell Lexi, oh yeah, this person thought I was you, then she might be annoyed if I was the fatter one, which I was for, we went back and forth of who was fatter and who was skinnier and all that. But yeah, we would definitely egg each other on, try to keep each other in line. We felt really, really defined by how we looked. I think being twins played into that. Crazy. And so, you know, I look at this now, you know, twins studying at the same university, getting the same PhD. Is it, you know, are you dividing and conquering the work or are you doing two separate work and then combining the work? Oh, good question. We tried so hard to not be so identical, but it turns out we just have the same interests and passions and talents. So we ended up using our twin forces for good instead of evil. So instead of competing against each other and being annoyed that we wanted to study the same things, we combined forces. So we both did um, really complementary work. Our dissertations fit really well together. So we feel like we kind of were able to do twice the depth of research just wow. by kind of being side by side. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, what what inspired you to take this route to your education? Lexi and I both had a really kind of aha moment early on in college. We were both freshmen um, trying to be not such twins. We were taking a media studies class. It was basically how media represents- Together? Um, no, we <laughs> we were taking the exact same class the same semester at different times. That's how different we were trying to be. But we both had a really similar experience in that class where we recognized the ways that women had been represented in media, how specifically women's bodies had been manipulated and selected just to be in the mainstream and how that had played such a role in how we perceived ourselves. We both just felt so abnormal, so embarrassing, obsessed with our beauty, our weight, buying teen magazines, watching every TV show that had every ideal that we wanted to fit. And we both just always had this idea that once we were thinner or more beautiful or whatever, then we'd really be confident and happy and successful. But that class when we were 18, was just such a wake up call to say, okay, so maybe these really negative beliefs about ourselves were learned. It's not natural. It's not that we're actually gross. It's that we were trained to think we were gross and be so obsessed with how we looked. And we found that other women shared the exact same experience, regardless of how they looked or what they weighed. And that kicked off another 10 years of higher education together, researching this stuff to figure out how we can help women see the objectification in our culture and then push back against it to build the resilience that um, then these things won't hurt as much and they won't be such defining factors in our lives. We can see ourselves as more than just bodies. Do you think that there's a generational difference in how, in like body perception? Because uh, I, I believe we're the same age. I'm 37. I remember being insanely uncomfortable with my clothing in high school and in college because my size, which is not a crazy size. I'm 5'11". I was a size 14. I'm a size 14 right now. But then being a size 14, you know, as a shopper of, you know, express and limited, they went up to size 12. I remember just had, that was, that's all I could have, you know, that's what I could afford. There was no, uh, there was no Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, making yep. clothing for teenagers. Uh, or like, you know, access to stores that had bigger sizes at the time. So I just remember being insanely uncomfortable 
with low rise jeans that did not fit me and shoes that also did not fit me. I'd have to have insane toe surgery when I was 16 to correct the mistakes of shoving my foot into a size 10 when I was really a size 11. Oh, so many women can relate to that feeling of like being on the edges of the straight sizes in stores and having to go shop in the women's mom section or going to, you feel ugly. You feel so ugly when you can't participate in clothing yourself comfortably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there must be other effects to that too, of course. Oh, for sure. Well, when we were growing up, like you said, it was the low rise jeans and the really short t-shirts and um, everything was pretty with the rope front. Shout out. Yes. You know, F you Mandy's with the rope front. They didn't even have a button, a zipper. You're just going to like spill out regardless. We're all, we're all traumatized by what we trauma. I should have put a trigger warning in the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Totally. Every time we see those styles coming back, I think all the millennials are just, you know, putting up a warning sign, like don't do it. We don't, but that's what I mean. Like, is there a generational shift? Because I feel like when I see Gen Z and I, and I look, I coach competitive Greek theater. If anyone here follows me on Instagram, you know, what's happening on Tuesdays. I have, you know, 20 teenagers that I'm coaching. Right. And I remember doing theater, you know, this competitive theater when I was a teenager and being uncomfortable, but these kids, they show up in Crocs (laughs) to practice. They show up in sweatpants. Like you would never wear sweatpants. Like that's just not a reality that they're so comfortable. And I'm wondering, you know, is, has there been a generational shift? Is it because they don't see, um, the way thin characters on TV that, you know, we had to consume. I, I don't know. Part of it, part of it is a backlash to the very polished, very body bearing, really sexualized ideals that really reigned for the time we were growing up and growing older. But part of it is also um, just a, a fashion shift as a backlash, but also oh. I also see part of it is So this idea of self-objectification, like I said, when we grow up in an objectifying environment where we see women's bodies presented as objects for viewing, for being picked apart and judged, which really was everywhere as we were growing up and growing older, then we internalize that outsider's perspective. So we, women look at our bodies as if they exist to be looked at. They exist to be seen instead of exist to be lived within and experiencing our whole lives throughout. Self-objectification is when you're imagining yourself from the outside instead of just living and clothing plays a really big role in that. So when we're growing up and when you're wearing really body bearing clothing and it's tight and you're fidgeting and you're constantly pulling down your shirt and pulling up your jeans, that puts your attention back on how you look. That is a constant drain to your mental and physical and spiritual energy to be picturing how you look and worrying about it all the time, as opposed to today when it's a lot more natural and accessible to wear baggy clothes, comfortable clothes, sweatpants, leggings with a huge sweatshirt, Crocs, all of that stuff can help you get your mind off of how you look. And I think that's a huge advantage that these younger generations have that they probably don't even consider as an asset of wearing these really baggy casual clothes. As you were speaking, I was just thinking about, and I don't know, maybe this is a unique experience. I don't, I hope it's not a unique experience, Um, but it's awful if it's not at the same time. When you were in high school, what kind of bras did you wear? Were they like the thin? Cause like, I feel like the bra that I wear now and okay, I got it. I got mom boobs now, whatever. But the bras <laughs> that I've been wearing since I was like 20 years old or 21 years old, they feel different. They feel a little, not padded, but like the material is different because I feel like my nipples were hard. Cause you know, my school was freezing. 
They were hard the entire four years and every single boy in my class knew it. Uh, <laughs> yes. Am I, is this a unique experience? Like, am I just not having access to like, it reminds me of Jennifer or is on that Friends. like, I'm sorry. It reminds me of Jennifer Aniston on Friends. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. we probably shopped at the same place, but like, I remember <laughs> like thinking at that time, like, I, well, you know, I couldn't shop at Victoria's Secrets. It was, right. you know, Kmart or bust. And, uh, I'm like, uh, you know, I just remember having to constantly wear cardigans or hoodie, not hoodies, but like, you know, the zip ups, remember the zip ups of the late nineties, I'd be wearing the old Navy zip ups or the fleeces. So I could cover my, my nipples. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I remember the days. Oh God. Oh my God. You know, again, we should have put a trigger warning in the beginning of this episode. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about objectification. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, what, like, what is the, what is the work? What is your takeaways from the work that you've done yeah. that in terms of like, you know, there's a message here, right? There's a message right. about our appearance in your book. You blow it apart. What are the action items that you take into this approach of blowing apart our misconceptions about our own bodies and mm-hmm. our perception of, of thyself, let's say. Yeah. So most people I think today agree that there is a problem with how girls and women are represented in media and in our culture and how they feel about their bodies. So body image has become a really big conversation, especially just in the last few years, but there's usually this one missing piece in that conversation. Um, And all of the interventions sound the same way. So when you hear about that girls and women hate their bodies, they're really struggling. The answer in a lot of the really mainstream solutions and campaigns is to say, all bodies are beautiful. You are beautiful just the way you are. And for Lexi and I, in our research, we recognize that it's not that women are suffering because they don't feel beautiful. They're suffering because they are defined by their beauty, whether they live right. up deals or not. And so to switch that around and to really remedy it. And that's what the whole book is about is to recognize that positive body image isn't believing your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good. So this book more than a body is to get people back inside their bodies, valuing your own experience as opposed to how the world experiences your body. That's where we're missing out. We are at a disadvantage when we are thinking about how we look instead of just living. And when our self-worth and our happiness and our health and everything else in our minds depends on our weight and our beauty and our youth and everything else. So the book is to help people build their body image resilience this ability to live in an objectifying environment where we're going to continue to be reminded that our beauty is so important. We will continue to compare ourselves to unrealistic ideals and be compared by other people to unrealistic ideals. But when you build your resilience against those messages and those triggers, then they don't have to sting so much. And in fact, they can be opportunities to reunite you with your own body as your home, as this, this place that you live in, this instrument through which you experience your life and the world, and you can learn to value yourself and appreciate your life and your body for so much more than just how it looks on the outside. What steps would you give someone other than reading your book? I mean, in your book, <laughs> give me, could you provide like a couple of like a little, little, little sneak peek Yeah. on how to value your body, uh, you know, sure. as, as more than a body? <laughs> Yeah. So I love to ask people, um, number one, how do you feel about your body? And I want people to use a voice note, write it down, whatever, and then go back and look at your answer. Obviously this kind of spoils it, but this is something you can 
do over and over again, go back and look at your answer. If you are describing your body for how it looks, if you are describing your worst fears of what someone else sees when they look at you, then you're probably self-objectifying or getting stuck in this rut of valuing your body for how it looks instead of how you feel and what you do and what it allows you to experience. And in those moments, when you are self-objectifying and you catch yourself monitoring your body, you can take a second to, to reframe your, your perspective. Instead of coping in the ways that you would normally cope, which for a lot of women would be excessive dieting, over-exercising, self-harm, substance use, staying in unhealthy relationships. Like we cope with body shame in every way you can imagine. And all of us do it in different ways that we're not even recognizing. So stop in those moments and recognize how you're tempted to cope. What would you normally do when you feel that body shame rise up and you're comparing yourself to someone that you don't compare yourself favorably to? Instead of doing what you would normally do with the hiding and the fixing and the coping in all these harmful ways, you could take three really deep breaths, relax your stomach. They call it soft belly breathing. This is crucial in body image because we're sucking in our stomachs all day, every day. All day. And that allows you to really get oxygen into the deepest part of your lungs and every part of your body and focus on your physical senses. Your body is something that you live within, not something to be looked at. So when you focus on what you can see, hear, feel, do, smell right now, that helps you reset. And at that point, you can make a choice that's a little bit more clear, a little more resilient. You can take inventory of your body image environment, like what's triggering you right now. What is it that has shaped your perception of what's good and what's bad about your body and potentially push back on those things, question those things, those harmful beliefs and ideals, instead of being critical of your own body. And then I think one of the best things is to simply use your body as an instrument instead of an ornament. We push through those perceptions by using our bodies for our experience, our use and our benefit, not just looking at them, not fearing what other people see when they look at them. We do the things we want to do. And that helps you appreciate your body for so much more than how it looks. You know, even though you advocate for this, do you struggle with this yourself? Well, I mean, anybody who gets a PhD in this subject and starts a nonprofit and writes a book about it 12 years after their PhD. Yeah, this has been a very personal struggle. Um, but what I do want to note is that it has gotten so much easier over time. Like I, I feel like this is both a personal and professional pursuit for me because not only have I researched this in hundreds of women and, you know, over more than a decade, I have tested it out in my own personal life. And now as a 36 year old woman who lives in New York, who's dating, whose weight has fluctuated, who is, you know, aging my, everything has changed in my life. And it's changed in ways that when I was younger, I would have thought were terrible. Like if you had told me that I was going to be 36 and single and wear the size that I wear now, and you know, whatever else about me at 21 years old, I probably would have been really disappointed and worried for myself. But the reality mm -hmm. of my life is that I have a great life. I'm happier and healthier and have a better dating life than I ever have. And all of that is because of who I am and what I'm willing to, to power through and brave and experience regardless of how I look. I think that has been really crucial for me to test it for myself. Do you have any tips in dating when you feel like, you know, a question that I constantly get is like, oh, I don't want to date until I lose 15 pounds. And my jerk reaction to any time I receive stuff like this is 
just date now because that's the same yep. guy. The guy that you, the guy that's into you right now is the guy that's going to be into you 15 pounds from now. Yep. And don't put your photos online that are 15 pounds from now, put the mm-hmm. photos of you today because, yep. you know, reality has to meet the expectation when you do meet, um, or rather expectation has to meet the reality when you meet and you do set an expectation when you're online dating, which mm-hmm. God, I mean, that's really, you know, I yes. think this is, this is objectification on overdrive it for is. women. Right. I love that you you say just date. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I love that you say just date now because that absolutely is the answer. We put up some kind of arbitrary limits in our minds about when we're worthy and when we're unworthy and what will make us more eligible and all of that. And it doesn't hold up in real life. You're right that the men, the men who are interested in you now will also be interested in you 15 pounds higher or lower from right now. It's not about that. And so, yeah, I recommend people put realistic pictures online because then you're not scared to meet in person. Then you're not worried that you're inadvertently catfishing somebody that takes a huge amount of stress off of it. So realistic, sure. Like flattering, beautiful, but realistic current photos of yourself is absolutely crucial. But I also recommend that, you know, when women feel so defined by how we look and when we're seeking so much about so much validation and attention, um, for how we look to try to make us feel better about our bodies, then we often will veer toward men who are just valuing how we look. So those messages that are commenting on your sexy curves and your, you know, fetishizing you in some way, or um, really anything about your sexual appeal and your beauty, oftentimes take that as a red flag and see I mean, that. God, yeah. We, we said that we had an online dating tech support recently and someone said, Oh, what do you do when he starts? How do you pivot the conversation? We start talking about your body and both, both me and Erica, our online dating manager, we're both like, if a man starts talking about your body, when you start messaging, you unmatch them like immediately. 100%. That's yeah, not, I completely that's agree. not the scenario you want to be in. That tells you everything you need to know about this person. They're not interested in you. Yeah. They're yeah. interested in your physicality, which is not. Yeah. It shows you what they value. It shows you what they're looking for. And if you have that deficit in you that is looking to have that gap filled that says I'm worthy because I'm beautiful, then it's going to be easier to go toward those men. But when you know that you are worthy, that you're more than a body, it's a lot easier to say, nope, I'm going to wait for the next one. And I'm going to look for a guy who wants to have a conversation, will validate other things about me. That's been really crucial for me because even when it is nice to get a compliment about your looks or whatever, if it's the first thing, if it's in the first three things that come up in a conversation, it's a red flag and you should be looking for somebody with a bit more substance. Um, I'm sorry. Like if you met this person, uh, at a friend's barbecue, you know, no one in their right mind would talk about your curves in the first four sentences. The only time I find like the only time that that is acceptable, I think, and I'm not saying it's acceptable. I find that socially we've accepted this as norm is like when you see a really tall person, like, you know, I've seen this, they do this to like really tall men. They're like, Oh, you know, they see them and you're like, wow, you're so tall as if they don't know (laughs) that they're tall. Like they just bent in to get into the room. I see (laughs) this when I go to Greece, uh, when I, you know, I go to Greece, uh, for about, you know, four to six weeks every year. And I am, insanely tall for the Greek standard. So like the average height of a Greek woman is five foot three or five foot four. And the average height of a Greek man is five foot eight, five foot nine. And I'm five oh, eleven. Wow. and in Crete, the men are even shorter. And my husband and I were both five eleven. He's six feet. So we are, they call us giants. We are giant people, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, which here in America, it's like, okay, whatever. And, um, you know, that's all people ever, like I will be at any store anywhere on the bus and someone will be looking me up and down, like just, it's usually admiration. 
but it's like, it's a lot of height. Yes. And I think that's the only thing that is socially acceptable to comment on, even though the person who's getting it is like always aware of their height, Mm -hmm. but to go back to the tact, it's not tall people. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, it's not normal for a person to talk about your curves or how sexy you are within the first three sentences of meeting you. And imagine if you were somewhere and someone said to you, oh yeah, baby, you're so sexy. I don't know why I just said that. So creepy. Um, (laughs) I apologize for your, for, to my listeners. Um, but if someone said to you, you'd be like, you would take out your mace and you would, yeah, it would hurt them. Um, Mm -hmm. cause that's weird. And that's the same, it still applies online. Like it's not, it's not normal. Right. We've come to accept it. Yeah. And while listening to you, I am reminded of, you know, how much, of a product of the generation that we're in. Like, you know, we were told that Monica Lewinsky was fat. We mm-hmm. were told that who was that woman who was with Paris Hilton on her show? Oh, Nicole Richie. Yeah. We were told Nicole Richie was fat. We mm-hmm. were told that Christina Aguilera was fat. And Jessica Simpson. And Jessica Simpson. And I'm like, and it's like, well, wait a second. What? And they expect the rest of us to not be totally traumatized by that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I carry so much like right now I'm trying to buy a bathing suit. Right. And look, I've lost a lot of, you know, I've, I've, I've had a weight reduction journey. I don't want to say weight loss. Cause I believe that when you say <laughs> weight loss, you find it back, you know, like just, uh, oh, so funny. I've reduced my weight and I have a lot of loose skin as a result. And I don't feel comfortable, not from a societal perspective, but like, just like, you know, my body looks different. And now I'm like trying to buy like a bathing suit and I kind of want to do like the skirt bikini. Like it's like a bikini top with the skirt at the bottom. So it can hide the whole pouch of skin that I have that I don't know when I'll remove, you know, yeah, or if I'll ever remove. And I, and I sent it to a friend and my friend's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, this is what makes me feel comfortable. Like, you know, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. I'll bring it back. I can be that <laughs> yes. person. I'll make a fashion statement this summer. Like so much, I feel like reading your book, you know, I think about how much of a product I am of, you know, what I see, but also like, I can, I don't have to be a victim to fashion. I have to be a victim to my own victim. I have to be my own comfort advocate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think there's a couple angles to what you just said. And one is that we should be physically comfortable in what we're wearing. And so if a, if you're wearing a bikini and you think this proves your body confidence and whatever, and yet the whole time you're fixated on how your stomach looks and how your butt yeah. looks it out. And that's not comfortable. In, you are uncomfortable. You are self-objectifying. You are picturing your body for how it looks instead of how you feel in the water. Right. Because swimming is one of life's greatest joys. Like really, it really is. is one of the funnest things to do. And it is totally taken away from us when we are fixated on how we look. The other side to that is that when we are covering our bodies because we're embarrassed about what other people see, as opposed to our own comfort, that comes from a place of shame and embarrassment. And that is something that we should test our limits on. That's something that we should push back on a little bit. So maybe you wear the skirt. Maybe it's one of those little skirt sarongs that you wear over the bikini bottoms or the swimsuit. And while you're there, if you're enjoying your day and if you want to not have those tan lines and if you want to get in the water, then push your limits, test those boundaries and see if you can whip that skirt off and still have just as much fun. No one is- You know why I want to wear a skirt? Less of you. 
you know why I want to wear a skirt? And you know what? Damn it. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them. I'm going to make it fashionable <laughs> this summer. You know why I want to wear a skirt? Because, so, you know, the bikini bottoms, I feel. Oh yeah. Uncomfortable. Like I feel like I'm, I'm constantly trying to like even it out. Definitely. Or, or all my bits inside. Like I'm constantly thinking that and I feel like with a skirt, it's like, well, even if it's out, there's a skirt. It's like attached to it. It's not going anywhere. Like maybe <laughs> I personally I'll love a skirt. Really. I, don't I love know. a skirt I think I'm gonna, or a cute pair of shorts. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to try it out. I think I'm going to, yeah. I think I'm going to bring out the skirt this year and you know, yes. shit, honestly, like, well, and also when you advocate for yourself and you're comfortable and you say, who cares about the fashions, other people see that and say, Hey, I wish I was wearing a skirt. I, I like that. You know, that's a style I could try out too. It yeah. liberates people. Maybe, all- maybe I'll make it a tankini too. Cause like, I love a tankini. You know what the problem, you know what it is? I'm looking at this in the perspective of like, I'm a mom now. So I have to so it's like, if I wear a bikini top, like I did this summer, it's like my boobs would be like, oh, you know, so yeah, I have to, we have to advocate for our own comfort and our own, like our own, like, you know, I, I have, I find myself a lot. My husband does it more than I do for me and God bless him. But like, there have been moments where I have been very mean to myself. And the reality is that like my body has brought me here. My body has made me two children. My body has, I've nourished my body. I've helped my body. Like I should be more appreciative of this thing that brings my soul from point A to point B. Totally. And I think what I liked about, you know, what I really, what really resonated to me in your book is that you advocate for that net appreciation of body more than a body. Right. More than a body, more than something to be looked at, more than an ornament. I think when you can appreciate all of the things that your body has allowed you to experience, that is a huge step toward seeing yourself as more than something to be looked at. And it also helps not only to, to look at the body that you have right now and feel gratitude for all that it's brought you through, but also to recognize that you were literally born into this body. And when you look back at pictures or videos of yourself from when you were little, like look at a picture of yourself from five years old and look at the similarities on your face, in your features, even your hair, your skin, any of those things. Whereas today you might feel some amount of self-consciousness. I look back at a picture of my five-year-old self and I feel nothing but love, like pure love and gratitude. Talk to yourself like you would talk to your five-year-old self, your inner five-year-old Maria, Lindsay, whoever. And what would you want her to know about her body? What would you want her to appreciate about what she's going to experience in this life with that same body that she's in at that moment? That can help us kind of reconnect and recalibrate what's actually important about these bodies that we live in. Lindsay, where can people find you online and where can people, I mean, I'm assuming, and I I know the book is available at all bookstores and independent bookstores, correct? Yes. It's absolutely everywhere. Also in audible and Kindle ebook more than a body, literally anywhere in the world. Um, but also we're on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined and our website is more than a body.org. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me on the ask a matchmaker podcast. I really appreciate you and, um, and your sister and all that you're doing for, uh, body positivity. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to ask a matchmaker. If you'd like to speak to me on an upcoming hotline episode, follow me on Instagram at matchmaker Maria. I post the link on my stories and we will chat then. Until then, you can learn more about what I do or enroll in an upcoming Agapi intensive by visiting agapimatch.com services. 
Thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.